What's going on everybody? This is JM Banks Urban Alchemy Podcast. Hope everybody is doing great out there. Thank you so much for joining us. We have another amazing episode for you all today. Today we are joined in the studio with an author, a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces, as well as a firefighter here in the building. We have Alex Thompson, PhD. So you are have a, a huge story it spans all the way back from 9 11 to the military service coming back to kansas city uh so let's just start from the very beginning of the story yeah Uh, how how, how did you get involved with military service in the first place so i joined the navy in 1996 i was probably like a lot of people who you know i graduated high school and i thought i was supposed to go to college and try to figure my life out i was in college for uh, you know, two or three years, I just one day was like, you know, why don't I try joining the military? You know, and it was probably one of the best decisions in my life. You know, I was one of those kids who was probably smart enough, but not motivated. You know, I grew up in an environment where education wasn't that uh, well respected. Right. And I just didn't know what my potential was. And so I took the military entrance exam, the ASVAB, I scored really well. And that was one of those moments where it was like, Oh shit, I can do, you know, like I can do something. And my recruiter um, really tried to push me into a uh, really technical field. I became a a mechanic. It sounds like it's not that big of a deal, but it was a a really highly trained field. Um, And so I spent um, four years in the military and then probably, so I got out in 2000 right before 9-11. Yeah. And so when 9-11 happened, I had another moment where I was like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to go back into the military? I just had this feeling like I wanted to help people and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and so, you know, I sort of spent some time trying to figure out how I wanted to live my life and give back to, um, I guess, in a sense, the nation, <laughs> if you think about it in that way. Yeah. I mean, when you are serving in the armed forces, it's not like you're serving your community. You're serving the entire nation, everybody's community, from the wonderful black people in our community to the horrible racists in the trailer parks. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody gets served. You know, this is everybody freedom from the people who hate America. Right. So that that, that is so crazy. So did you not have any kind of military uh, family or were you the first inaugural member? No, my stepdad, I mean, before I knew him, had served in the Air Force. And a funny thing is that my dad, who I did not grow up with, so I grew up not knowing uh, my dad. I grew up with my stepdad and my mom, but my dad had served in the Navy, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, It just, I think, you know, like I said, I was a kid. I didn't really know what I was supposed to do with my life. And the military seemed like um, the next great adventure that I could go on. But like I said, I mean, I think it really gave me, I don't know. I mean, obviously the military is supposed to give you discipline. And while I was in the military, it gave me discipline. But more than anything, what it gave me was an opportunity to sort of get away from everything I knew and to rethink who I was and what I could accomplish in life. And I always knew, I always like enjoyed school and education, but like I said, I just grew up in an environment in my home where that wasn't really valued. 
And when I went into the military, like I killed it, <laughs> like in terms of my training, my focus, I found myself working harder than I ever had in academics and learning what I needed to learn. And I started to realize something about myself that really propelled me into the future. Absolutely. Yeah. The military definitely helps instill those those values that a lot yeah. of people in our community are lacking due to that lack of either a male figure in their right. life or authority figures in their yep. life. I can just tell you how pro, how much of a profound effect uh, ROTC had on me uh, okay. when yeah. I was in high school yeah. uh, and just, you know, having for the first time have to deal with putting on a uniform <laughs> and making right. sure that it was it was just tiptoe yeah. you know, squared away and polished shoes and everything. It's yeah. So different. And it's also a different experience getting on a bus stop in the hood <laughs> in a full military right? uniform. Yeah. People just stopping like, what's up with this kid? Right. Yeah, but it's different and it makes you look at things different. It's so. one of those things where you don't know how far you can push your mind and your body until you're actually forced to do it. Right. You know, so you go to boot camp and you know, they're waking you up at three or four in the morning and keeping you up all day and all night. And you're doing physical training, PT, and um, you're taking tests and you're, you know, they put you in charge of people for a week or two. You know, it's just like the stressors come one after the other. And because you've never been in that situation, you you come out of it and you're like, man, look at all the things I did. Look right. at all the accomplishments just in this short period of time that didn't break me. Yeah. You're, you're able to see your capabilities exactly. and, and get that responsibility for the first time. And it was, I, I think I'm understating it now because what I think is that I had, I've had the potential to be, and I'm going to use this intentionally, I've had the potential to be great my entire life. But I didn't have anyone either pushing me or being an example of what it meant to be great. Everybody I knew was like, yeah, you know, you'll probably graduate high school, but, you know, you'll probably get a job at the local grocery store or like, you know, I don't know, maybe you'll be lucky enough to get a job at the post office or something like that. And my, my stepdad had a um, janitorial business, you know, like maybe you'll be cleaning toilets and floors like that for the rest of your life. And like, that's, that's what we do. That's who we are. Right. I remember one time I told my stepdad I wanted to be a computer engineer and he just laughed at me. Right. Just like. It, it wasn't like a laugh, like <clears throat> that's that. I mean, he, it wasn't as if he was saying, maybe that could happen, but that one, that's probably not going to happen. Right. It was like, that's Greek. That is alien. Those white people out there do that. Yeah. Right. We black people don't do that. We don't become computer engineers. What are you thinking about? It's instilled. <laughs> it's instilled from the time before you know what the outside world is. And like what the actual opportunities are that exist in the world. They're just stripped from you. Yeah. And it's about language and it's about thought, right? If you can't speak it, no one around you, like when you're younger, you only conceptualize what you hear, what people give to you in a sense. And if it's not in the language around you, you can't think it. And me going out into school and talking to career counselors and it's like sort of heard other people talking about it, had those ideas in my head. And the moment I vocalize it, again, I mean, it's really important to me. There's a distinction between I don't think you can do that, which is one thing. And the other thing, which is we don't do that. That is not us. Yeah. That's not our reality. Right. It completely strips the possibility away. And and that is 
spiritual to me, right? It's deep, deep inside of us. What you actually just described is actually like that journey of self-discovery and you're sacrificed and and kind of doing what you need to in order to obtain what you haven't seen. Yeah. And it's a, um, I think the first step in that path is enlightenment. Absolutely. Right. It's a moment where you have a flash where something grabs you. And and we started talking about this because of the military, right? Like I was in the military. I took the ASVAB, that entrance exam, and I scored well. And then I joined the military and I started like little tests I would do good. And then I took a bigger test and I did well. And I took another test and I, you know, I just kept doing well. And there's like this moment of inspiration where you're like, I think I can do this. Right. Like my whole life, I've been told that we, this is not in our nature. Right. And so that's the first step. That first step is enlightenment. But the next step is hard as work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Very true. It's like you catch that fire and you're like, I think I can do this. You know, I'm thinking about when I took a f- physics class or I took calculus three, right? Took organic chemistry, right? When I first took my first chemistry class and I'm balancing equations and I'm like, yeah, I think I can do this. You get to like organic chemistry or you get to like physics or something like that. It's like, no, you doesn't matter if you have the aptitude. What matters is how hard you work. Yeah. How late are you willing to stay up? How humble are you willing to be to ask that person that you don't like mm. who understands it better and who's smarter and say, you got to teach me this? Yeah. How many how many knows? How many knows are you willing to stand up from? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think there's phases where um, people who are held down, people who are told no, people who are told that who they are is not good enough. There's phases that we go through where we say, you know what, fuck you and fuck what you say about me. I know who I am and I know who I can, what I can accomplish. And again, I think that first step really does have to be like inspiration or something like a spark yeah. that hits you, but it's not good enough, right? That, that gets you started in like believing in yourself, but there has to come a point where um, you say, I'm willing to put in the hard work that's required to accomplish the goals that no one ever thought that I could accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. And with that said, it, 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 for those people who aren't able to say, you know, fuck you, I'm good enough to do. Yeah. Those are the, there's the people who listen. And each time someone listens, it's like a little little death. Exactly. And it becomes easier and easier to be like, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I won't be able to do that. Maybe that's irrational. Exactly. And one of the things that I think about, you know, we we talk a lot about um, diversity. We talk about inclusion. And sometimes people get the idea that, oh, we are trying to get people who have no contribution to society an undo leg up. Right. And I'm like, that's not what's happening here. We have generations of people who have already been giving back to our communities with no recognition. Or it's been co-opted by broader society. Talk about music, talk about sports, talk about art, right? So much has already been contributed. And so what you're saying is about those little moments where our ability to reach outside of what we think we can accomplish is taken away from us and that's been happening for generations in our communities and so the point is not to say there's nothing there yeah the point is to say there's already a lot there it's just been ignored it's been treated as if it's trivial and it's not trivial and our responsibility is to give voice to that and to give vision right and sight 
and so that we can say and talk about what already exists. True. And so that to me, I'm, you know, I'm like leaning over the mic, I got my hands going, but that's what I'm passionate about is like bringing voice to things um, that already exist and already bring value to the larger society, um, but have been ignored. Yeah. And I realized I was passionate about that pretty late in the game. It wasn't until I start letting people tell their stories. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we, we, we do got some interesting people out here. Why, why am I not hearing about these people? Yeah. And it's just like with the young lady I was telling you about, uh, Maria De Lopez, who's yeah. just about to be featured in the pitch. It's awesome. just like, she's out here. Yeah. Like right. she, she's doing things out here, but we haven't heard about her for some reason. Right. And all it took was me saying, Hey, you guys to take a look at her. And now she has her first article. Cool. Yeah. And, and you said we haven't heard about them for some reason, but the reason is clear. Right. And that reason is racism. Absolutely. Right. And it's sexism and it's homophobia. Right. It's because, you know, we are so used to giving our time and money and resources to what stands as what has been defined as mainstream. Mm. You know, and this is kind of my point is that it's not that people of color, women, gay people it's not that they don't exist and aren't bringing value in every sector of society yeah. right it's just that the larger society has chosen to emphasize not that right and we have a i think a responsibility and an opportunity to to bring voice to that i think you're doing a great job of that i'm trying i yeah. mean i'm not classically trained in broadcast Fuck journalism. All that stuff. I mean, it, I, <laughs> did it, I, mean? I did it a very untraditional way yeah. and I became the voice of the community by default because there is yeah. no one else out here saying, hey, these are the people you need to be taking a look at. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, it, I hate to say it, but uh, Maria de Lopez is going to get more exposure from the pitch than she did coming on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they have wider, a wider reach of uh, audience. Yeah. I mean, and like you said earlier, it's talking about whether you go the traditional route or the non-traditional route. When you go the traditional route, unless you are hard as nails, you get cut down by the time you come out. That's why, you know, I did a PhD. That's why PhD programs are so long. Mm. That's why it takes so long to become a well-established doctor or a well-established lawyer is because by the time you come out of that process, you've been cut down, cut so many times. You've had those little death moments where you say, what's more important? who I am as a person or me accomplishing my vocational goals. And you have to make those choices. And so the value for you doing it in a non-traditional way and being successful, which is important, is that you haven't had them. I mean, obviously, we all make compromises. We all have to make choices between X and Y. Mm. Uh, but you've had to make fewer. Those of us who do it in a non-traditional way make fewer compromises along the way. And for those few who get to be successful, it brings a completely new and fresh voice to something that, in my opinion, is, can be stayed and old. Yeah. And it's hilarious that you you phrase it like that, because I actually started this podcast with a producer who had some experience, a background in radio. And he consistently just shot down ideas, uh, yeah. cut down ideas. Yeah. It was just like, you can't do this. Like, yeah. this is, this is, you can't do this. People aren't going to be able to listen and people aren't going to, you're going to disconnect with people. You're going to yeah. alienate people. Yeah. And, you know, if we ever want to get in any investors, right, then, you know, right. it's just like, okay, I'm going to defer to your judgment because you have experience in this. And after doing that for about six months, I was like, I'm not happy doing right. this. This is not right. me. This is not authentic. Yeah. I don't think people are, 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 
feeling it. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't until me and him split it ways and I started going out on my own. We relaunched and we st- I started doing things my way. Yeah. And people started picking up on it. So the success is, is surprising. Yeah. I was not banking on that. I wasn't banking on the people to be like, we need this. Let's let's continuously listen and, and yeah. uh, you know, see who else we have in the city, because the fact we don't know yep. is baffling. Yeah. I mean, and it's the important thing to me is what you said about you weren't enjoying it. Right. And you have to bring your authentic self to this because you are and represent people who haven't been represented, mm. you know, and, and bringing voice to that in an authentic way. You know, because the opposite is we need to try to fit into what everybody else is yeah. doing. We need to do like what Joe Rogan is doing or all these other podcasters. Or We need to fit into that. And it's like that just perpetuates what's already existing, mm. right? And it doesn't reflect the life that people are actually living. Right. You know, and one of the projects that I'm working on is this kind of this idea of the everyday hero. And if all we do is celebrate you know people who are stupid rich famous athletes artists etc that's less of an inspiration for people who are living that everyday absolutely right and trying to find inspiration in their community in their neighbor on their street right it takes away from that and like i said i think uh, that is one of the powerful things that that you're doing Oh, and I thank you for acknowledging that because yeah. <laughs> yep. it's a thankless job. <laughs> I'm sure it is. No, but sure you hit is. the nail on the head with that. Like, I believe you, me, when I first started, like, hey, let me do interviews. I reached out to the big names in the city yeah. and all those big names were, were just too busy. Yep. And it wasn't until I started looking at the people who are still on their journey, the people who are still building, Absolutely. who haven't reached their destination yep. yet. Those are the people who really start inspiring me. Those yeah. are the people who really That's- motivated me to be like okay they're excited about this yeah I, I just i don't know what it is you know i've been thinking a lot about it since we did our first um podcast and i've actually started writing a book about it nice <laughs> because i wonder you know when we did our first podcast i was reading a book called the second mountain by a guy named peter brooks and it, it's meant to talk you know the second mountain so it talks about people who've had a successful career and then they move into the second phase of their life, which is like really giving back to people. Right. And it was all, they were all rich, but they were all like, you know, even if they were running a nonprofit, it's like this big time nonprofit. And I'm like, that's cool. I get it. That's nice. But what about the people who are in the trenches? Mm. Right. What about people who we would call like local heroes, everyday heroes who they're just a really good dad. You're not going to get a spotlight on that. You're not going to get a spotlight on that. And how do we do that? How do we put a spotlight on that? Because in certain communities, in certain families, knowing how to be a good dad is a mystery. Absolutely. Right? It's completely unknown. Well, it's, it's the Loch Ness Monster. I ain't never seen it. So how can tell you what it looked like. <laughs> right. You know, Absolutely. So how do we bring, light, like I said, light to that, bring voice to that? Not just to talk about money, because I think we all want to, you know, be well off and and live a good life. That's That's part of it. It is part of it. But there's another part of it where we are connected with the people around us, right? And we are giving back to our communities in a way that has lasting value. If you're a millionaire, tens of millionaire, and you give a million dollars to a community, that's great. I'm going to support and celebrate that. 
but on that everyday basis, right? There's there's work that needs to be done there. Yeah. Like, and if interviewing somebody is because they're hitting one of three pinpoints, it's it's income, influence or impact. Yep. And a lot of people just take income and, yeah, and let that bleed true. over to that's impact a, or yeah, influence. Like somebody can have a huge impact without yeah. having any income at all. Yeah. I'm making not money, a lot of money at this at all. Yeah. But my impact is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And my influence now is, is starting to span yeah. out to others of, yeah. of media within the city. So it's like it, people just see the end. They see the dollar sign absolutely. and they, they see this. They think that is the S for success. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the case. And it's never been the case, right? And it's not what makes communities stable. It's not what helps people feel connected and ultimately happy. I mean, obviously, there are people who are rich and happy. Mm. I'm not making that distinction there. But the happiness comes from something deeper. And if we can capture that and spread that and share that with others, um, I, th- I think that's where it becomes really important. You know, I wrote my book and... The intent for me was to deep, dark moments of my life, you know. So 9-11 happened, and after some time, I started living and working in the Middle East and had a lot of negative experiences. And I know that there are people like veterans who've had those same experiences who don't have an opportunity to talk about it. They don't know the words to say. They don't have the right environment to speak it. Whatever it is, they can't put those words out there. Right. And, and me writing a book was an opportunity to say, I'm here with you. I've gone through similar experiences. And this is how I worked my way through it. Yeah. So you're able to use this 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 authoring of this book. And we'll get into the book a little deeper yeah. as a form of therapy yeah. uh, for your for your own internal issues. Yeah. I mean, I think one part of it was therapy. And so for myself, for me, putting it, actually putting it into words um, moved me along in a lot of ways. But it was also um, there's an external part of it where. You know, I, I share some on social media and I've just had tons of people reach out to me and say, I've never expressed the pain that I feel, but you expressed it in a way that's exactly what's going on with me. You know, and so like I said, part of it was personal. It was catharsis for me to be able to um, talk about the experiences that I went through. But there's also another part of it where I've been able to give voice, as we've been talking about, give voice to those who may not be able to express it in, in quite that way or get it out. Right. You know? Yeah. So are you ever surprised about the amount of people who contact you or do you feel like, you know, traditionally this is something that people kind of deal with on their own? I am surprised. I know. So, for example, there are between 20 and 22 veterans who kill themselves every day. I mean, it's a staggering, shocking, mortifying number of veterans who kill themselves every day, right? So I know for a fact that there are veterans who are suffering because of the time that they've spent in combat, for example, not always just because of combat, but whatever environments. And so I expected to hear from people that I've worked with overseas in combat zones, etc. And so the fact that people reach out to me hasn't been surprising the details have been the fact that people are willing to share the deepest, most, you know, sort of 
intimate pain and struggles that they have has been shocking. Yeah. Another part of it that's been really surprising is non-veterans. <clears throat> Friends of mine who I'll be out to dinner with and they're like, oh, yeah, I read your book. And then we talk for 10 or 15 minutes. And next thing you know, they're telling me about some trauma that happened to them. Nothing related to the military. But they feel comfortable sharing that with me, you know, and that is that is really surprising and humbling. And it's sort of motivating to keep pushing uh, to provide an environment where people can talk about their lives. Yeah. And that's 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 an invaluable resource that we need in this community. Man. Yeah. As as many people who follow the podcast know, my oldest brother was a uh, veteran and he struggled with PTSD for a good chunk of his life after leaving the armed forces. And it kind of went on a steady decline over the years. He was able to kind of keep steady and you hold down a job and a marriage and then alcohol got introduced and it was a steady downward spiral on there and that culminated in suicide unfortunately so as many people know that that has always been a huge hallmark of this platform is mental health mental wellness and just talking about your issues and your problems and yeah so i I think us talking about those, like like you said, not even just military service, right. anybody who has that kind Absolutely. of deep city trauma who may just need to talk, you know, you, you got to find somebody. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the things I always say is it's not easy to talk about trauma, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, if I'm out to dinner with someone and next thing they know, they're opening up, you know, I've never told anybody this, right? It's not easy. So for anyone listening who's thinking to themselves, how, you know, what can I do? How can I help? You know, it, first of all, it's not easy. You shouldn't expect it to be easy. You know, those of us who are attempting to reach out and be a resource and an open ear for someone, you got to push through that discomfort Mm. and ask those questions. You see someone who's behaving differently they're, you know, don't have the same mood or mannerisms that they used to have, right? Yeah, you're going to feel uncomfortable asking them and saying, how are you? No, no, really, how are you? What's going on in your life? And that discomfort never goes away. But we push through it because we care about people. Absolutely. You know, and and the other thing, like you talked about um, the last person that you talked to, you know, and you said that she'll get more sort of visibility from the pitch than she will from your podcast. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, but the important thing is that it doesn't matter to you. You're like, I want to put this out there and I want to help people. Right. And it's really about the stories of others that we want to share more than me. Like you said, I don't make any money. Right. Yeah. And I put, I hustle. It's a service. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and I hustle. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm doing whatever I can to help. And that's the point. And, and I think as long as we have that motivation, uh, we can we can do the good that we want to. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we t- when talked about the book a little bit. Uh, so let's get into it. Sure. I'll go. Yeah. Uh, War, religion, coming home from Cairo to Kansas City. How long ago was it that you decided to write a book initially? I've had an idea about writing a book for probably a long time. I probably really started to devote time and energy to writing it um, about four or five years ago. I spent about just shy of 15 years back and forth to the Middle East, um, living, studying, working, etc. And when I came back, I was in pretty bad shape mentally. Mm. 
you know, worn out, worn out, um, and emotionally fucked up is really the only way to say it. I was really fucked up. There came a point when I was starting to heal and I realized that I needed to get it out. Like I needed to get out those 15, it was 13, but like almost 15 years of Hmm. grinding, just like nonstop getting after it. Before we get to the healing part, let's talk about the lowest part. Yeah. I feel like that's a very important part yeah. for people to talk. A lot of people are at their lowest part right now. They just yeah, don't know. Exactly. And they don't think these things going to get worse. Yeah. They don't know this is the part yeah. where, it, where it's upscale. Yeah. What was that lowest point before it, before you saw the, the rays of the sun yeah. shining? They always say it's always darkest before the dawn. Yep. What was that point? Look, what did that look like for you? Yeah, I still remember that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was in 2014. And I was living in Bahrain in the Persian Gulf. Um, And so I started going to the Middle East in uh, like 2001, two-ish. And so it was the, I was living in Bahrain. I was working for a, I was working for the Marine Corps there. I had on the surface, I had this great life. Like I'm a big time rugby player. I love, you know, like I spent a lot of time playing rugby and watching rugby. Um, in Bahrain, we had a big rugby club and I had tons of friends. We were going on all the time. The company I worked for um, had me like this big loft in this nice condo on the water. We had like a rooftop pool. Like I had parties all the time. Work, I loved it. But I would come home from work every day. I would turn out my lights and I would sit in the dark and be suicidal. Mm. Just the worst emotionally that I have ever been in my life. And I, and I would just go back and forth between these thoughts of like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Everything's fine. Like you have this great life. You have a great job. You make good money. You play rugby, you have friends, etc. And then this other part of me, which I had no control over, which was like, it's not worth it. Mm. Life's not worth it. And I swear, um, you know, there was just this, and, and and so it was probably um, a week or so of time. It wasn't months, but it was probably a week or so of time that I was just depressed. And after about a week, this voice, this quiet, steady voice just said, go home. And that was it. And that, it was like I'd be battling between these sides of me, like life's not worth it and get over yourself. Everything's fine. And just every so often there would just be this really quiet voice, which said, go home, you know, and it, all these other two voices are yelling. At me. It's like life, you're, this bullshit is like, you know, I was like, you're an idiot. What's wrong? And there's just, just like this quiet voice, you know, it's like, go home. And finally, probably after a day or so, I was, I, I heard it and I was able to respond to it. I called on my company. I was like, I'm going home. I'm done. I've been doing this for too long. I've been in, I was, you know, I've been in Iraq. I've been in Fallujah, not just Iraq. I've been in Fallujah. I've been in Afghanistan, but not just Afghanistan. I've been in Helmand province and Kandahar province, you know, the center. So Fallujah. Kandahar and Helmand were the center of the insurgencies in their respective countries, right? And that's where I was. Um, and so, you know, I've jumped out of airplanes in Central and East Africa. I've been 
places I didn't even know where I was. Backpack through forces. Yemen. Backpack through Yemen. <laughs> you know, I I had put my life on the line for a long time, and it just accumulated. And so I got to the point where I could I couldn't even pretend to keep it all together anymore. Right. Yeah. And then so I came home, and again there was just this sort of voice. Um, which said, I make three promises to myself. Again, this is still in 2014 and I'm scrambling to take control of my life. Like I'm, I don't know what's going to happen with me. And so, like I said, I make three promises and the one is I'm never going back to the middle East. You know, it, it was something reactionary, which said, I need to make a clean break. I need to get away from all this bullshit that I've been doing. So I was like, I'm never going back to the Middle East. That was the first thing. The second thing was that I'm going to finish my PhD, which was sort of like, you know, the first uh, commitment was like a clean break. The second one to finish my PhD was to tie up loose ends. Like I'd been working on my PhD for almost 10 years at that point. And so I wanted to have a clean break. I wanted to tie up sort of loose ends of the life that I had put on hold while I went back and forth to the Middle East. Mm. And then the third commitment I made to myself was that I was going to settle down. Okay. Which was sort of like a commitment for the future. It's like, I'm going to be someone. Yeah. No idea who that is. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's, you know, all the people I knew who had spent as much time as I had in the Middle East were fucked up. Yeah. You know, completely disconnected from family and friends and um, constantly taking off and living whatever life you want to live. You can do whatever you want. The worst things and the best things that you ever wanted to do, you get to do. You know, I've been in one of the top 50 hotels in the world. I've eaten in some of the best restaurants in the world. All that kind of stuff. It's like it affects the way you think about who you are and what you can do and how you can live your life. And so I made this third commitment, you know, to settle down but i didn't know anybody who had done that mm. you know but i i committed to it yeah i'm right there with you uh if you don't see something it's right. hard to it's like we just said earlier seeing is believing exactly. and if you haven't seen it it's kind of hard to make a blueprint off of it yeah. uh but that that just goes to goes back to what we're talking about in regards to doing something the non-traditional way. sometimes <laughs> Absolutely. you know when you do it the traditional way you're pretty much just following someone else's blueprint someone else's schematic on it but you know yep. you gotta you gotta figure out your own your and own you routine. give up some sense of the uniqueness that is who you are yeah. when you do it the way other people have done it. Like I said, I mean, tons of people do that. And it's not like it's the worst thing in the world, but there are those of us who should not do that. Oh yeah. Right. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. And I, I'm one of those people, you know, so I came back in 2014. I, um, you know, I got a regular nine to five job. I got a job. I was living in DC. Um, I got a job at the federal emergency management agency, FEMA, I did that for a year. I met my current partner. Um, his name's Jeremy. Shout out, Jeremy. Yeah, shout out, Jeremy. <laughs> and um, he, you know, he was living in Kansas City at the time. You know, and I had a, a really tough decision to make. Right? It's like my life was in DC. Um, I had, you know, a top secret security clearance. You know what I mean? And um, I had a network. I was some, I mean, you know, 
I wasn't really somebody in DC, but in my little circle, in my little world, I was somebody, right? Like I had a PhD, I had been in Iraq and Afghanistan and supported special forces and Marine Corps. And um, I was, like I said, in my small world, you know, like there's senators and president and all that kind of stuff out there. And I was not that at all. But in my world, I was somebody. I was I was a fireman, a volunteer fireman. So in my community, I worked a lot and I knew lots of people. But I hadn't made this commitment mm. that I was going to settle down. And that meant that I believed I could be somebody that I wasn't at that point. And so I, on a hope and a prayer, you know, like we talked about earlier, like that first step is inspiration. Yeah. It's an idea that I can be some, I could be somebody. And that who I am is not tied to like the hotels that I'd stayed in, the restaurants and the degrees and all that kind of stuff. Right. But there was a moment of inspiration, but it led to, you know, I've been in Kansas City for five years. It's led to that five years of hard work, mm. right? Hard work of building a relationship and settling down and connecting. Yeah, and sometimes you do got to sit down with yourself and, and, and make that covenant. Yeah, absolutely. And, and make that, hey, I, I this is a, a solemn oath to myself yeah. that I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I said, hey, I'm going to get into journalism. I remember people telling me you can't get into journalism. Yeah. You don't have a journalism degree. Right. You have no internships with journalism. You have no experience whatsoever. You don't even read a newspaper. How are you <laughs> going to get into journalism? Right. I said, I don't know. Right. But I'm going to do it. Right. And two years later, like I said, untraditional route. Yep. Here I am in the game. Yeah. You know, able to actually contact people in actual legitimate you know, certified news outlets and have conversations. So it's just a matter of you holding yourself accountable yeah. and not selling yourself short yeah, and not absolutely. listening to those people who's going to say you can't do that. Yeah. And, and like we said, it's hard work, you know, because there are more days for me anyway, there are more days that are tough than that are easy. Oh, yeah. Internally. Right. Because, you know, like you said, sometimes you got to sit yourself down and, and make that covenant. And then after that covenant, there's a, a lot of days when you're trying to grab yourself by the mm. scruff of your own neck and say, get your shit together. Remember, we made this agreement. Yeah. We said this is who we can be and the life that we can live. And I'm not giving up. You know, it's like there's that part of you, which is like it would be so much easier for me, Alex Thompson, mm. to work on getting my security clearance back and jetting off to the Middle East. I still I know people who are still doing it. Right. It would be so much easier but sort of bowing out and quitting be easier to quit and sort of go back to that life not that i i mean i'm still really proud of the work that i've done but there was a part of it where i was just disconnected yeah you know and i've made an oath a commitment to to live a, a different life and i know that that life brought me to the brink mm. right i know where i would be had i stayed um, in those environments, and uh, I don't want to do that. True. Yeah, I had I had a moment like that about a month ago. Yeah, when everything just started hitting that, one after man. another, I and bet. actually, I had like a week. I had about four or five cancellations oh. in a row. Wow. And 
and that had took a chunk out of my you know scheduling. Yeah. And the Adobe stuff hit. Yeah. And when I say cancellations, I mean last minute cancellations, uh, no yeah. call, no shows. Uh, yeah. I don't even know when I'm going to be able to make it. It's yeah. just like, oh wow, okay, this is the floor just dropped from under me. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like for every one interview I have, there was ten people who who said no or oh, didn't give me back or something like that. So yeah. Yeah, just those soul crushing experiences that you just have to continue on. Have to grind, man. As much as you want to say, man, I need to. I, I just hate people so much. Right. I hate this yeah. so much. You just yeah. gotta keep pushing yourself. There's a, you know, I, I I would say that I have both of those. Right. There's this one part of it where it's like pain in my ass, mm. right? But for me, the more important part, like I'm a I'm a mission focused person. Like I'm a just driven and I believe that we can make a difference you know and so at the same time that I think people can be a pain in my ass I think that there's there's good that we can bring out you know and at the end of the day it's not about me and I don't think it's about you it's about the the mission that we are trying to advance it's not about my reputation my bank account it's about <clears throat> people who are making a difference in their communities and our ability to sort of lift them up. And at the end of the day, if I labor at what I'm doing, and I would say if you labor at what you're doing and we lift people up, but we continue to not have the success that we want, then it's still like individual success. It's still a success. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's a hard thing to, yeah. I mean, it means that there are days where you're like, I'm not getting what I thought yeah. I was going to get out of this. Right? I can't take this, uh, <laughs> this self-esteem to the grocery store. <laughs> exactly. You know, this, but it, it is a, it is an invaluable feeling to, to know that you're actually making a difference and helping people. Yeah. And it, it may not, you know, get you the likes on Facebook that, that, you know, certain stupid, ridiculous things may get. Exactly. But you know, like you have that feeling inside you, you feel it yeah. and you know, it. it's meaningful and you can't, you can't, fake that like yeah. you can't fake yeah. the work you do the good work you do yeah and we ultimately have to be i think self-driven driven by like what's inside of us to make a difference in the world and if we can do that um you know you and i are the same like i have a day job and uh, that pays my bills right i'm not paying my bills by uh the book i wrote but i'm having impact that i want in the world that's, that's what it's all about like yeah. a lot of people just like we were talking about earlier a lot of people get so tied up with income yeah and, yeah. and they forget about what's important. Like, why are we doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Like, if, if you're doing it for the money, good luck. Because yep. you're going to have to either sell out or be the best out the gate. Yeah, and to me, probably the most important thing is that if you do it for the money, you'll miss the people who deserve the focus the most. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like, like I said, there's just everyday heroes out there. And it's just an idea that I've been working on just recently. But we've given enough attention to the famous actors and comedians and artists and athletes, etc. It's time for something new. So tell me more about this everyday hero idea. Yeah, you know, it's, it's this idea. Like I said, I've been reading these books about success stories, you know, and what I find is that what I imagine happens is somebody's like, oh, I want to write a, a self-help book or a, a book about success or about someone who's made it, right? And the first thing that happens is like, okay, let's, here's a hundred people who are really successful. Okay, let's take the top five successful people out of that hundred. 
And then the next step is, okay, we got these five people. Okay, let's take the 10 most successful moments from their lives. So not only do you have the most successful people being written about, you only have the most successful moments of their lives being written about. And you asked about the lowest moment in my life, right? And we don't, I think, hear enough about people who are currently in the trenches. So not successful at all, right? Like they wouldn't even have thought about when we're writing stories to inspire young people about how they can live their lives. It's like, oh, you need to fit into one of these five categories, lawyer, doctor, athlete, whatever it is, right? So when we talk about what it means to be successful, we limit people's ability to think about what's possible. That's the first thing. So we've limited the possibilities. And then we limit the examples that we give people from those career fields. And then we limit what we know about the lives of those people who are successful. We don't frequently hear about all of the hard work and all of the bad days. And so to me, you know, that everyday hero, the concept is, okay, got enough of the the big time people, right? What about people who are really good at being a parent? or a spouse, or a gym coach, or a janitor in a school, or a community actor, right? Not done anything like on Broadway or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but is reaching back into the community and trying to make a difference. Like, how do we bring voice to those heroes in our communities who are making the difference that otherwise would be ignored? Yeah. That is the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it, it, it begins with just having individuals in the community like us yeah. who are willing to do the work yeah. and also willing to tell the stories. Yeah. Uh, that that sounds super interesting. I, I'm really interested in that and anything I can do on that, yeah. that end to help with that. That's, that's definitely something I'd be on board with. Calling you. Oh, absolutely. You, um, for examples and people. Um, to write about because again you know i don't know if you remember last closing uh go ahead and give your roses out oh right yeah so um probably two people that i would want to mention my partner jeremy you know oh, when good. i shout out jeremy. shout out jeremy um i talked about you know the lowest point in my life and i was able to get through that when i met him and was able to start that healing process and to f- figure out how to get reconnected. Um, and then my dad, like, as I mentioned, um, I grew up without my dad and had a lot of anger and, you know, negative emotions towards him, but he has become really a central uh, part of my life and helped me. So I would say those two folks. Nice. Nice. Shout out to those people yep. out there. We appreciate your work because yep. obviously you contributed something to putting somebody in that chair that is on my platform. So <laughs> thank you all. Just in case you might not get your roses. Uh, it's always important to tell people that. Oh, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. So once again, thank you for joining us today. Alex yep. Thompson, PhD. <laughs> Please check his book out. It is amazing. I am about halfway through oh, nice. that up. I'll go. Religion, War, Going home, coming home from Cairo, Kansas City. Yep. You can check out, check out my website. It's called thishero life.com. Thishero life.com. 
Excellent. Yes. And yeah, doing a lot of great things. Uh, you're one of those few people I get to talk to and actually want to stay in contact with. <laughs> a lot of people you interview never expect to hear from again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy I'm able to, you know, make a professional acquaintance as yeah. well as a, hopefully a new friend. I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah. So, as, so thanks as, a lot. Absolutely. Thank you, man, uh, for everything you're doing out here. I look forward to seeing what you got planned in the future. And please keep us posted on any new developments. I will. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. So, once again, folks, thank you all for joining us. I'm J.M. Banks. This is Urban Alchemy Podcast. I hope you all are staying safe and stay blessed out there, folks. Mm-hmm.